Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks, where you can hear the rest. I don't think it's a coincidence that the inability to have any deeper creative thoughts about these things or have any deeper understandings of the property and their ability to ingratiate themselves to people in power and to play the politics well and to play the Hollywood game well and whatever. Because, like, for example, like Mark Millar is very good at playing the game, getting things adapted, uh, getting to pitch movies and all that stuff. I, I think they're not a coincidence. I think that the time that would have been needed to build a deeper understanding of this stuff, they were honing the skill of schmoozing, honing the skill of being liked by people in power honing the skills of playing the game like people like a Benioff and Weiss you bring up a Benioff and Weiss like like um a George R. R. Martin is someone who you could tell is probably spending a lot of time thinking about people and and fantasy and scenarios and deeper thoughts and Benioff and Weiss their skill was schmoozing when you see the story of how they impressed and kind of pulled one over on George R. R. Martin by pretending to know more than they did about his work. Oh, yeah. That's a skill in and of itself. If you can share that story, I, I think you know that story, right? Well, yeah, it's 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 shocking that, that they were able to, and, I, and again, I wasn't there, but they admitted it at the Austin uh, Comic-Con, which is ostensibly, that's why their, their openness about this is why they ended up getting kicked off of the Star Wars project and, or amicably parted ways, mutually, whatever. Uh, but they, they admitted that they didn't really know anything about making TV and they wanted to make a, a, a fantasy show out of Game of Thrones that a, you know, a, a, a football fan or uh, like the the wife the wife of a football fan or or a wife who is a football mom or whatever would enjoy you know so so they admitted they were they were aiming at the muggles and they uh, they talked their way into the job they didn't even know how to make TV according to them like that's not me being catty that's that's what they said. You know, they were like, we really didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, they even said and they it, didn't know how to film special effects. And it was like the third or yeah. fourth season. They had to learn yeah, on that, the job. Yeah, and so they were deliberately writing the scripts in the first few seasons to minimize and cut out all the special effects that would have been in those books. And you're going, okay. And they're like, yeah, we didn't, we wanted that. We wanted the books and we wanted the story, but we didn't want the fantasy. And you, you want to look at them and go, it's a fantasy book series. Yeah, exactly. And I feel the same way, for example, with, with, with the Nolan Batman, like you want Batman, but then you want to take all the superpowers out of it and uh-huh. take away everything uh, fan- fantastic. So why not just do a, a psychological detective story? Like, yes. like, why do you even need Batman? Like, you yeah. Know. That's why I had a big problem uh, at the time with Smallville, and then I ended up having a problem with Man of Steel because the philosophy was essentially the same. We want Superman, 
but we don't really want him. Like we don't want the suit and we don't want, you know, the the trappings of Superman. We just kind of want the name Clark Kent and we want Smallville, but we don't really, so, so don't ever put him in the suit. He can never fly. And you're sitting there going, what's the point of all this? Like, just make Dawson's Creek 2 or just make Party of Five Part 2. Don't don't call it Smallville and don't involve Superman. Um, but they have these weird ideas where they want to cash in on that franchise name, whether it's Game of Thrones or Superman or whatever. And they kept it going to the very end because I didn't watch Smallville, but uh, I did tune into the final episode because I was just curious about if they how he looks in the super superman suit so right i tuned into the last episode of smallville and i ironically i'd never seen the episode of smallville before uh but uh-huh. i tuned in for that last one out of curiosity because i saw an ad and then they never showed him in the suit so even until the end uh they're too ashamed to actually just embrace that he's that he's superman they just kind of show him in a silhouette or something or the back of his yeah. head and his feet and something weird it was just very weird yeah, it is strange. Yeah, you're like, what was the point of it? it, it, it of all, it it was well. The the from what I understand, they were trying to keep him. It was something of I, I they were I think they were running up to into Superman Returns at that oh. point, and so or no no I'm sorry I'm sorry I take that back. They recycled the suit from Superman Returns for the final thing. Maybe they were running up against. Uh, they were a few years away from Man of Steel, so I'm not really sure what the rationale was. But it was something to do with we don't want that actor's face associated with the Superman costume. So blur it out, fudge it, just make it enough that you get the gist that he got in the suit finally. Um, I'm sure that uh, there, there are people out there that know the full story, but it had all this stuff to do with the contractual things that they put in place at the beginning to commit to this no flights, no tights philosophy. Um, and, and so that carried over into, and at the end of it, we, we just don't want images of that actor definitively in the suit. It was weird. It was very strange. Um, and it didn't serve the show well at all. Very, very, very bizarre. Um, one thing about everything you said that I find very interesting is it has parallels to so many things. Like, for example, in sports writing, uh, you have people like Bill Simmons and Bill Simmons, Uh is very much a sports writing equivalent of that. Like, he's not great on analyzing sports, tries a little too hard to be, like, irreverent and um, mm-hmm. kind of cynical, but is loaded with pop culture references. And Like, like he's the total sports writing version. If you look at things like Seth MacFarlane's animation stuff, it's imbued with the same sensibility, that same uh, Gen X sensibility, where it's, like, tons and tons of references uh, and fake irreverence um things right. like 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 robot chicken uh i feel like uh-huh. have, have a lot of that and the, the funny thing is these are things that i kind of used to enjoy i'm gen x myself but but yeah. at some point i don't know when the sheen wore off and i want to ask you when did it wear off for you like like were you like me where at some point you were buying into a lot of these gen x creators if so when did uh for you do you think was a was the breaking point or when you had to take a step back and realize okay our generation is kind of annoying no. Oh, oh, you're going to love this story. I can tell you exactly when it happened. Um, so I went to film school at Syracuse University uh, in your neck of the woods. Yeah. And um, I, uh, this, we were the last class that actually studied, this was in the late 90s. So we were, we were the last, one of the last classes that studied on um, 16 millimeter film negative. They were moving over into nonlinear digital 
videography uh, right after that. Um, and all of the students around me, because I'm sort of on the tail end of Gen X. I'm, I'm still officially Gen X. I'm not on the cusp or anything, but I'm at I'm at the end. And, and Kevin Smith, of course, is more earlier Gen X. Um, but I get into film school, and it's it's like the whole film department. The, my class was like ten people, I guess, maybe maybe twelve, fifteen, something like that, who were in the film major. And I'm not kidding you. Like every other film student in my class that four years all they wanted to do was mimic Kevin Smith. Mm. All they, And I liked Kevin Smith. Like, I liked Clerks. I liked Mall Rats. I liked Chasing Amy. I liked those films from high school going into film school, but they they didn't define me. Like, I, I liked them the way I like Anchorman. You know, like, I wasn't... They weren't like these movies that I held up like Lawrence of Arabia. You know, they weren't the movies that, that inspired me. They were just films that I was aware of and I liked, and great. These guys worshipped Kevin Smith. They thought his stuff was just top shelf and they wanted to mimic it and and they did. So when they did their senior thesis films, they were all, one guy was trying to be Woody Allen. There's always the guy that's trying to be a weird art house filmmaker who makes things that don't even make sense and you realize it's probably because he just doesn't know how to actually write a story. So he's he literally shines a flashlight in somebody's face for 10 minutes and calls it art, whatever. Um, but then there's these other other guys who were all just doing Kevin Smith knockoff student films. And it was, it was monotonous. And I finally got to the point, just psychologically, during the course of my senior year, where I, I realized it kicked over and I realized seeing their mimicry of Kevin Smith in, in the... Um, Cinematech classes as we were showing the professor our progress on our on our movies, uh, I realized how empty it all was. How it was all very empty, meaningless, kind of cynical. Uh, I don't even want to call it storytelling. I don't even know what you call it, but it was very hollow. And and I wasn't making anything like that. I was trying to do a, a narrative driven film, um, you know, a traditional story film. Uh, and I got made fun of it right and left, up and down by the same people. Mm. You know, they were just laughing at me the whole time. Um, the The best part of that story is that when we had to show all of our movies at, on graduation day, uh, they had a special screening in the big auditorium of all the student films for all the parents of the film majors. And uh, my film got cheers from people in the audience, which was weird. And then when I came outside with my parents, other parents were coming up to me and telling me how much they enjoyed my movie with their son and or daughter standing there. It was very awkward because I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, that guy's parents just right in front of them said that they liked my movie better than their own son. And that's movie. one of the people that was trying to ape uh, Kevin Smith, right? Yes, yes, yes. His and stuff ages, yeah. ages terrible. I'll be honest, if I had gone to film school at that time, I'm worried I would have uh, probably been maybe one of those one of those people. I like to hope that I wouldn't have been. But uh, yeah, I might have been one of those people like yeah, but, but but then again, maybe not because maybe if I had your experience of seeing it mirrored back to me through all those people, I would have had that um, same disillusionment as, as well. Because I think something similar happened to me is when I started seeing copies of copies uh, uh -huh. that it just became more obvious how, like for example, I was into Lost, I was into like Abrams and Lindelof. I think my breaking point was the Star Trek movie. 
and the uh-huh. lens flares and how they just dumbed down. Because I think it, I needed to see something that I understood the core of, yep. butchered, to finally uh, understand. And I watched the original Gene Roddenberry Star Trek, and I really liked Star Trek. And when I saw their version, it was just a typical hero's journey chosen one dumbed down version of star wars that they use for every movie just applied to captain kirk but captain kirk has a predestination chosen one he's refusing the call to adventure the whole time and he's a jerk ass but he's just given a starship because it's his time to shine and i was like what is this crap there's no science fiction in this there's nothing he's not likable he's just being uh he's rejecting his destiny first off it's not supposed to be a destiny it's supposed to be a job that's what uh it was to the original captain kirk uh, the original Captain Kirk was just a big nerd. He liked to read uh, policy uh, manuals, and he served on lower ships before he got elevated to. Um, he did the, he did the normal grunt grunt route uh, up the ladder. This one has a predestiny. He's a chosen one. He's a Harry Potter. He's an Anakin Skywalker. He's a you know whatever. He refuses the call to adventure the whole time. Then finally, he just gives him and goes. I guess I'll be your savior. And they just give him a ship. He doesn't serve on anything and. And the whole thing is just full of lens flares. It's it's uh-huh. it's by the by the book, and that's, it made me retroactively hate everything J.J. Abrams did. I look back at Lost. Yeah. I look back at everything uh-huh. else. And I'm like, oh my god, this is just nothing but a formula. This is nothing at all. It's totally uh, empty. And that's not like seeing names like Orky and Kurtzman, the screenwriters that he chose. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I saw everything they did, and it was just like these guys write by studio note. Like I think they have a blank page, and then they have a bunch of studio note post-its, and they just write around the studio note post-its. Uh, I I met someone who worked in uh, Hollywood in a, in the studio as a studio assistant, and they told me why they heard Orky and Kurtzman Kurtzman get to get as much work as they do. It was very reflective of what you said in your gen x rock video they said they're known for never saying no to studio notes they will write whatever you ask them to write and they have no beliefs or values or anything to say so studios know that if they give them a lot of notes you know uh or even put this product placement in your thing they will uh say yes to everything they have no beliefs nothing they bring to the table uh-huh. and i was like that makes a lot of sense but then i started realizing but if abrams is hiring them and all these uh gen x directors are hiring them they must be the same way themselves like the notes come down to abrams or or lindelof or whatever then lindelof gives them to um you know the writers under him or whatever it's it's all yeah, they get farther and farther away from the material as well. It's 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 just paint by numbers. Yeah, I, I want to end on on this. Um, can you give us? Because I feel like I haven't done justice to your videos. There's five videos that I want people to check out. I think they're very good, and I feel I Thank feel you. like uh, I haven't done um, justice to them. But these are the titles. Like uh, I was saying this before we recorded. I personally don't know a lot about the toys and hobby stuff, but I was able to watch it and enjoy it. And I was going to say, if you guys like or are curious about that stuff, there's a lot of good hobbyist videos on the um, channel. So I'm not saying just watch these things. By all means, give them a try. If it's in your wheelhouse, watch them. I'm only isolating these five because they're directly related to what we're talking about today. So this is not a 
saying this dude you're yeah. not you're not going to offend me by by <laughs> picking your favorites I mean, okay hey, okay if those if those if those are the ones you love that's why we do a variety of things and i'm i'm glad because i put my passion and my work into those like every other video i do so go oh for yeah it. but, but yeah. i just want people to try your other stuff too like like i don't want to oh sure yeah, so so sure. um there's one uh to be fair why fans are turning on their own and can you give me mm -hmm. the elevator pitch on uh what that one is about yeah that's that's really about uh how uh the trying to remember what my thesis was on that because you you write these things in like a in like a haze and then you you know you, you get it out there and then after you do that you feel cathartic and then it was about the loyalty test toward corporations and brands and yeah. yes yes and so when you're in an argument with somebody or a, not an argument a debate a discussion and you're talking about this product or this property and then and why it has problems or why the the company's mishandling it and then your friend who's like an apologist just for Paramount Pictures or J.J. Abrams or whoever says, well, to be fair, and, and, you, and you look at them and you say, when is a company ever interested in fairness when it comes to what they sell you? When is a when is a company or a, or a storyteller or whatever really taking your perspective or ideas into account? They don't. Did they personally call you on the phone? They didn't. So they say things like you're being too harsh, you're not being fair. And it's like this is an assessment of a product or a television show or a movie or whatever. This is not me talking about the dress your grandmother wore to the family reunion. Like I'm not personally insulting a family member of yours, but you're talking about them like I need to talk about it with kid gloves or be sensitive or fair. And I'm like, we're talking about a corporation's decisions here. There's no, there's no need to be fair. What we need to be is objective. So that's kind of where that, that whole thing fell out. Um, because to be fair is one of those phrases that fandom likes to use now when they're defending these faceless companies. All right. So that was a preview. If you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.